0: All right, church, let's look at Luke. We're gonna be in chapter nine. <clears throat> I'm gonna do two sections today. We're gonna to do um, two different sections. If you, if you have a Bible in front of you, you'll see that these are broken up. So I'm gonna read through one. We're gonna talk all the way through it. I'm gonna read through the other. We're gonna talk all the way through it, all right? We'll have some action steps as we go on our way, and we'll uh, have about our Sunday. Let's dig into the word. Thank you, Jesus. Once... When Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were there with him, he asked them Who who do you say? No, who do the crowds say that, that, that I am? And they replied, well, some say John the Baptist, Others say uh, Elijah and still others that one of the prophets from long ago has now, now returned or come back to life. But what about you, he said? Who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, God's Messiah. You are Christ, the Son of God. Christ of Yahweh, you are the one God sent us from the Old Testament. You need to understand what was in God's Messiah, meaning the sent one of God. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell anybody. One of the randomest of random sentences that, that Christians run into as they read through. And he said the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Now, in Mark there is a little more to the story because this is where Peter says, no, that's not going to happen, and Jesus calls him Satan, okay? He, He calls one of his disciples the devil, all right? So that is left out of this passage. Let's go back to the top, and let's see what God would have to say to us in this passage, all right? First, he is saying that what we have now is a reset from the giant literal healing and preaching circus that happened over the previous 24 hours, okay? He has just fed between 20 and 25,000 people, and they have gone across this desert field and picked up 12 baskets full of leftovers, learning last week that Jesus satisfies, that He is the fulfiller of our needs, that we will have in abundance no matter what we see with our eyes. Our cups do, in fact, run over in him and he is now withdrawn from the storm and the sea and the crowds and the healing and the, the, the eventful day that he has had and Luke decides to tell us first that he is praying when Jesus withdraws to pray you can bet he is recovering from something or gearing up for something. We find him praying before he comes down off the mountain to take on the church elders when they throw the woman down who was caught in the act of adultery. We find him praying when he comes down off the mountain, steps out onto the sea, and walks through a storm. We find him praying after the hardest 24 hours of his life. He's either recovering from something, refueling and refilling as an example to us, or gearing up for something also an example to us. Be prepared. Spiritual Boy Scouts, if you will. He was praying in private. The crowds have been dispersed. And it is simply him and his disciples. And I imagine sort of a, 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 a campfire setting, if you will. They're sitting around maybe like a worship circle, one gym bay just a a few people enjoying this this moment. And I I don't believe there's a lot of talking happening. I believe they've seen so much in the last 24 hours that their minds are processing the power of God, the magnitude of God, the the symbolic story. Remember I said last week that I believe that God was sending a message through the feeding of the 5,000. Not only is this bread feed you, I am the bread of life and I will supply all of your needs. He was making an announcement about who he really was. The body is broken for you. The blood spilled for you, right? Now they're taking all that in, and nobody's really talking. And I imagine Jesus maybe reaching up to the top of one of those baskets and pulling off some bread like he always does in the the scriptures and takes a bite, Scans the crowd and they don't know what to say, not the crowd, the disciples, and he says, All those people. Remember even when you guys, when you guys went out and were doing all the healing, and they were like, It's an Elijah, it's Moses, somebody's returned, and even Herod, all right? Even Herod Antipas said, Who is doing these things? I killed John the Baptist, it ain't him. Everybody wants to know from whence all this comes. Jesus takes a bite and he says, "Fellas, who are who do they think who do they think's doing this? Who do they say that I am? Elijah, John the Baptist, come back. Maybe maybe Moses. Maybe 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 Abraham." There's lots of things going around out there, Jesus, just in case you were wondering. Okay. 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 What about you? Now, before we get the answer, we need to stop. And I want to remind you of something that you know, but you need to hear. (laughs) This is going to shock some of you. We live in a world with a magnitude of differing opinions, I know, right, I I know, I know that I just, I just confounded everyone with my brilliance, but I want to make sure that you hear this because I know that you didn't know, we live in a world, you go to school in a place with millions of differing opinions, you go to work in places with astounding amounts of differing, differing beliefs, all right, we have uh, countries and nations with different styles of governing, churches that break off from churches that break off from churches because of differing opinions. As large as God is not who He says He is, down to as small as wine or grape juice, carpet or stained floors. <sighs> I know, I know, it's hard to accept, but we live in a world with differing opinions. I want you to see that Jesus knows that, understands that, you ready? And isn't afraid of that. Catch what happens here. It is as casual as a mountain stream. Fellas, are there other opinions out there? Yeah! Do you know some of them? Yes! Have you listened to the differing opinions? Yes! Yes! Now, what do you say? Church, let me be clear. You are going to hear things that are not the gospel. You are going to hear things that are not true. You're going to hear things about Jesus that are not true. You're going to hear things that are not about Jesus that are true and that are not about Jesus that are not true. They're all going to come to you. And here is where the rubber meets the road. It doesn't matter what everybody else says. It matters what you believe. But beyond that, the bigger question becomes not only what you believe, but how does what you believe guide your feet? How does what you believe play out in public? How do the differing opinions waver Or not waver your faith. Who do you say that I am? Peter said, You are the Messiah. Jesus leaves this alone, except to say something very, very strange. That's right. Now shut up. That's what he says. Jesus strictly warned them, don't tell anybody. What? This is the opinion that matters. Why do we not tell anyone? You just sent us out to heal. Bingo. You just sent us out with the kingdom of God's message. Bingo. You just sent us out to tell the world about you. Bingo. But if. The elders and the religious leaders and the people who have been teaching figure out in their hearts, minds, souls, and spirits that I am the Messiah. Things aren't going to go as planned. Wait, what? Things aren't going to go as planned. Listen to me. Even the people who followed Jesus never really caught on. Even after Jesus dies, at the end of this book, we're going to study a story about two men who were there at the feeding of the 5,000, there at the Sermon on the Mount, who are walking down the road to Emmaus, and Jesus shows up, and they don't recognize him. They knew him, but did not know him. The, The preachers preached about him and had no idea who he was. Even the disciples with Peter making his statement in Mark, no, Jesus, it's not going to happen that way. Get behind me, Satan. You cannot thwart the plans of God. And this was in the plan. The religious leaders had to act just like they'd always been acting in order for them to be the ones that got angry, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the teachers of the law, that would then cause problems within the government, that would then have the government arrest Jesus, that would then try him and hang him on a cross. And that is how the Messiah would bring salvation. They thought he was going to bring worldly rule. The story in Luke, we're going to go over it again, but here's what, here's what they say when Jesus asks them what's going on. They say, about Jesus of Nazareth, he was powerful in word and deed, and above all the prophets, but our chief priests and rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped he was going to be the one to redeem Israel. Do you see? They told the story exactly right. But then they say, but we thought he was going to redeem us. He did! No, he didn't cut taxes. No, he chose a crown of thorns instead of a crown of jewels. No, he didn't ascend the throne. He ascended Golgotha. No, he didn't just wipe out the rona. No, he didn't just wipe out a year of our lives. Nothing is surprising to him. He didn't go, holy crap, what happened in Wuhan? That moment never occurred. Jesus probably didn't say crap, but I don't know that. We don't know for sure. But it works. So don't get caught up on that. If we don't have a proper picture, of who the Messiah really is and what his message really is and what the goal really is. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. That life doesn't end on this earth, that we are aliens and strangers, that this world is not our home. If we keep fighting for all the things here, we'll miss what's there. And if you think I'm making this stuff up, time out, let's jump to the next section and see if it doesn't now roll right off of this one. The Son of Man must be rejected by all these things because the chief priestess teaches the law, and on the third day he will re- be raised. And then he said this this is the next section in your scripture. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself, take up their cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit the soul? John Davidson quoted that scripture yesterday morning at men's ministry. Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Truly, I say to you, I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. You know some of what this means. Do you know all? Some standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. There are only a couple people in the scriptures who that applies to. Enoch walked with God and was no more. Elijah taken up in the chariot. But this is New Testament. What's going on here? Let's back up. One of the things that we talk about, especially as Good Baptists, me, growing up, is that everyone can receive the free gift of God that is eternal life. For it is by grace you are saved through faith. It is not of yourself. It is a gift of God so that no man might boast. And we focus in on this free gift of God because if I tell Johnny Ray about Jesus, if I tell Les about Jesus, and Les says, is this Jesus for me? Yes, if you will only receive him. And he receives him and gets in a relationship with him, then that is something that God offers to us. But in that gets lost this, the cost of following, the cost of of discipleship. The cost of this journey is absolutely not free. It never has been and it never will be. God even said, before you take your first step, count the cost. I want to say goodbye to my father. No. I want to bury. No. I want to let. No. Come now and count the cost. And what is the cost? Everything. If anyone would follow me, Truly follow me. He must deny himself. And I've preached this at least twice since I've been here to deny yourself. That means no to self. That means every human, earthly, a natural man that does not understand the things of the spirit, they are foolishness to him for they are not spiritually appraised. We have a natural side in Adamic nature, Adam, and we have a spiritual side. And once, those, once that spiritual side comes to life, there is a constant struggle for the rest of your days between the natural side pulling at you and the spiritual side pulling at you. And listen, there's an old, there's an old truth, all right? Whichever wolf you feed will be the wolf that comes out on top. If you've got two wolves and they're going to battle, whichever one you feed will win. Are you feeding the spiritual side or are you feeding the the man, the, the natural side? You've got to starve that natural side out by filling yourselves with the word. That is why morning, noon, and night, they sought his face. Come on, church. To deny yourself means no to self, all right? It means denied. It means turned back for you, for you athletes, all right? When somebody goes up for a shot, basketball, and somebody comes in and takes that ball and literally, man, right out of the air, throws it into the stands. Everybody's like, no, oh, he got denied. That's exactly what you have to do to yourself. When you want to urge, God's got to be able to deny it. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. It was the most humiliating way to die. Not only that, but if you were forced to carry it, you were bearing the burden of that which would kill you. Every day. This is a new thing. Luke adds the word daily. It's not an event. It is a becoming. Every day. You're counting the cost. You're refilling the soul. You're fighting the natural spirit. And you are following Jesus in obedience out of love. And then, follow me. It's the invitation that Jesus gave. Not come to the altar. Not get saved. He came to seek and save, but his invitation wasn't get saved. Every disciple, he said two words, follow me. And church, here's the thing. Follow. Don't lead. That's what happens. We get arrogant, we start to lead. All right? We love Jesus, we love revival, and then man takes over and we try to lead, 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 and then we end up bad off and we wonder what went on. It's the story of the Israelites over and over again, up and down all through the New Testament, Old Testament. Listen, yes, we live in a rough time right now. You ready for this? It's going to be okay. Now listen, it's going to be Okay, we, the American people, just got greedy. And we are going to get knocked on our tukuses, And we will stand up again. It may be painful. It may be brutal. It requires loss. It will hurt. But it's going to be okay. Don't forget that. I can't tell you when. But this is the cycle of humanity and of nations since the beginning. Since the beginning. Follow Don't lead, follow. Don't hold hands and walk, follow. That way, everything that comes at you has to go through him first. And me, not Craig, not Elders, not Tomlin, not Hillsong, not Chandler, not Bell, not Graham, not Stanley, follow Jesus. The apex of our race, our journey, the marathon that we're running is Jesus. Because if you work for anything else, for the almighty dollar, for the bigger house, for the bigger car, for all the sports accolades, if you work for anything else, you're going to find that trying to save your life you will lose it because you will spend so much time on the things of this world that you will not be able to connect in the things of the world you were created for. This is not about living or dying. This is about a total misunderstanding of the kingdom of God. They misunderstood because they thought Jesus was gonna take over the natural world. Jesus never came to take over the natural world. This is not his kingdom, but he wants to bring his kingdom here and we don't understand that we're fighting battles here, <laughs> this is a vapor in all of eternity. We're exerting all of this effort here only to find out that all of our efforts should have been given to the kingdom. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. Why? Because when they come to the end of their days, they have a future in Christ. What good is it for someone to gain the world and forfeit their very self, their soul, their froni, the inside, what makes you you? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory, in the glory of the Father and the angels, when the time comes for us to face. Those who experience, those who understand, those who live in the kingdom. And we talked about angels last week. They are 100% obedient beings. The glory of the Father comes in the kingdom. Why? Because everything in God's kingdom obeys Him. That's why the prayer goes, Thy kingdom come. How do you make that happen? Thy will be done. So God's kingdom is the place where God's will is done 100% of the time. And those of us working for something different when our eyes are opened to the kingdom of God and 100% obedience and we get a glimpse of what true hope, true love, true joy, true peace, the overwhelming things and darkness is removed and there are no more night and no more tears and we see it all, we won't comprehend it just like the two men on the road. Pour your efforts not into the world but into the kingdom of God. God, and this all makes sense. I tell you the truth. Some who are standing here today will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. This is not about dying early. This is about somebody who gets it. This is about somebody who gets it, who has an Enoch moment where there's so much time, effort, joy being spent with God that that time just turns into with God. It's no longer bound by time because he's not. It's no longer bound by space because he's not. It's no longer bound by skin because he's not. It's it's the knowledge of the kingdom being so overwhelming in your life that before even death comes, you get to experience the kingdom of God in all of its splendor. And it comes by simple obedience. Deny self, take up cross, follow him, trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey and some of them hymn writers knew. come on if anyone is in Christ they are new the old is gone the new has come it's time to spend all that we are, sacrifice all that we want to be truly in Christ. And you'll see it before you see it. Let's pray. God, for my whole spiritual journey, you you know that hundreds, maybe even thousands of times, I have prayed the same two prayers over individuals, over myself, over congregations, over these people. And that is one scripture verse and one old hymn. And I, I pray them with earnest today over these fathers and mothers these believers and non-believers, these parents and these children, these spouses, may the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord, our strength, our Redeemer. And may you have thine own way Have thine own way. You are the potter. I am the clay. You mold me and make me after your will while I am waiting. Not bossing, not pausing, not yearning or leading while I am waiting, yielded and still. And this is how we see the kingdom. Be still and know, not think, not perceive, know that I am God. I pray this over these people in his name. And amen.